This is Jay Baer from Convince and Convert. Welcome to Season 6 of Social Pros. If you want to learn how big companies succeed with social media, you found the perfect podcast. The show is brought to you by Salesforce Marketing Cloud, inspiring one-to-one connections with your customers through social, mobile, email, web, and advertising. The show is also brought to you by Yext, whose award-winning location management platform helps companies of all sizes drive more foot traffic to their doors and get more customer reviews. And by Convince and Convert, social media strategy advisors and counselors to the world's most interesting brands. Convince and Convert makes your social better. My co-host for the show is Adam Brown. Find all links, archives, and more at socialpros.com. Are you ready? Let's get to work. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the show. Sponsors this week of Social Pros include our friends at Salesforce Marketing Cloud, who have a fantastic and free guide for B2B marketers called The Complete Guide to Social Media for B2B Marketers. Tells you how to use Facebook, LinkedIn, Pinterest, and even Snapchat for B2B. Download it for nothing right now at bit.ly slash social B2B guide. That's bit.ly slash social B, the number two B guide. Get it right now. Also, I want to let you know about my brand new book. I could not be more excited. It's called Talk Triggers, the complete guide to creating customers with word of mouth. It's all about how to build a word of mouth strategy tied into your social media that turns your customers into volunteer marketers. I wrote it with my good friend, Daniel Lemon. I think it's the best thing I've ever done. Go to Amazon right now and search Talk Triggers or go to talktriggers.com to see a bunch of special offers just for you. That's talktriggers.com. Well, friends, we are back with a very special episode of Social Pros. It's Jay Bear. He's Adam Brown. This one's a little awkward because Adam's going to interview me here in the Social Pros podcast. Uh, so we're, we're going we're gonna to see how that goes. This is, this is a little awkward, Jay. I'll, I'll tell you, just to start out. It's, it's different. I have to raise my game here a little bit to interview <laughs> you, one of the best interviewers in the uh, in the business. Hardly. Thank you for doing it. Delighted to be with everybody. As always, it is fun to be on the side of the microphone. The book is Talk Triggers. And as we record this, it is available in fine bookstores, traditional and online everywhere. Jay, talk talk a little bit about it. I know this is this is which book for you? This is the sixth book that I have created. Uh, my co-author, Daniel Lemon, uh, this is his second book. Uh, we've been working on this project for about 18 months or so. So it's uh, it's been a, a, a real labor. We're really proud of it. The subtitle of Talk Triggers is The Complete Guide to Creating Customers with Word of Mouth. And, and hopefully we've done just that. And I had the opportunity to, uh, to read a pre-release copy to kind of get ready for our interview with Jay today. And it's such an incredible book. And we're going to dive really into detail and a lot of it and the actionable insights that are in it. But I'm, I'm interested, Jay, by one thing you just said. You said 18 months for, for you and, uh, and Daniel to write it. Was this an easy or a difficult book for you to write? A little bit of both. Easy in that the topic is so fun, right? Word of mouth is, is just a, a terrific and interesting and enjoyable slice of, of business. And there's so many interesting and vivid case studies in the book that it was just a blast to interview people and, and really fun to write. At the same time, it's tricky because unlike 
previous books about word of mouth, Daniel and I really had to balance the offline word of mouth, you and I having a conversation face-to-face, and the manifest importance of online word of mouth, social media, ratings and review sites, et cetera, and make sure we kind of had a foot in both of those camps. And then also, while there are a number of terrific word of mouth books on the market, and in fact, many of the authors of those books, Andy Cernovitz, our mutual friend, Jonah Berger, who's been on the show twice, a number of other folks, uh, uh, Ted Wright from Fizz, who wrote the forward. There's lots of good word of mouth books out there. But what we wanted to make sure we did was to add to the, the work Uh, by making talk triggers exceptionally actionable. So Daniel and I spent a lot of time perfecting the systems in the book, the systems that any business can use to create their own word of mouth advantage, and not only building out those systems, but then back testing those systems with clients that convince and convert. So taking what we have in the book and saying, okay, let's apply this to real companies, let's demonstrate success, then we know it works, put that in the book. And so it was sort of an iterative process uh, along the way. And it was that, I think, distinction and the difference between online and offline word of mouth that was really interesting to me. Uh, you, you note Ed Keller in the, in the book, uh, co-author of another book called The Face-to-Face Book and CEO great of book. Engagement Labs. Yeah, absolutely great book. And talked a little bit about the difference and how some things can really shine offline. Some things are better across that kitchen table or across from, uh, from a bar stool with, uh, with a buddy. Talk, talk a little bit more about kind of that distinction of the two. Yeah, it's fascinating. Ed's Ed's research at Engagement Labs finds that approximately 50% of all word of mouth, so all chatter, takes place online, social media, et cetera, and about 50% takes place offline in the real world, telephone, face-to-face, Skype, et cetera. But what's fascinating about that is the types of things that people talk about tend to vary whether you're online or offline. So the conversations are a little bit different because online, you don't necessarily know all the people who are going to consume your information, especially if you put something on Yelp, for example. Uh, And so the kind of things that make an impact and the kind of things you talk about tend to vary a little bit. What we have found, what Daniel and I found in our uh, supplemental research called Chatter Matters, which isn't even in the book, is that Offline word Sounds of mouth. Sounds like a sequel to me, Jay. I know. Tr- the traditional kind of stuff actually has more persuasive power. Now, that may not be um, uh, particularly counterintuitive because if you actually know the person, you have that level of intimacy and trust. So if I say to you face-to-face, like, hey, you really should buy this book, that is going to deliver more of a persuasive impact than if you just see a tweet about a book. One of the things and one of the examples you use and refer to often in the book is uh, a brand that I know you like and a brand I like. There are a couple of these brands and there are a couple of brands that if you're a shrewd listener of social pros, you've heard (laughs) Jay mentioned over the past 12 to 18 months, which is uh, quite appropriate. But one is around the Cheesecake Story. And I like the cases of the Cheesecake Factory story because not only is it relevant and relevant to talk triggers and one of the talk triggers or multiple talk triggers that they create, but also because you begin to show how that talk trigger is having a tremendous impact. You make a correlation in the book around Cheesecake Factory and that they only spend 0.2% of their total sales on advertising. And you compare that to another very well-respected and I think probably compatible uh, restaurant brand, Darden Restaurants, which owns Olive Garden, Capital Grill, Yard House, many others, where they're spending 1,799% more on advertising. But I would guess and I would surmise that the Cheesecake Factory's brand and what it represents and what the talk triggers associate with the brand are so much stronger. 
Well, they certainly have a, a cleaner story. And that's really what a talk trigger is, right? It's, it's a story that you consistently give your customers so that they can tell that story to their friends. Look, the, the best way to build any business, a small business like mine, a giant business like Salesforce or, or Cheesecake Factory, which is probably somewhere in between, is to have your customers do that building for you. And the only way that works is to give them a story to tell. Now, the challenge is, and really the the crazy part when we started writing this book, Adam, is that word of mouth represents between 50 and 91% of all purchases, right? So between between half and 90% of every dollar in your pocket right now was influenced by word of mouth in some way. And, And most business people... Uh, will not debate that. Certainly social pros listeners uh, will support that fact because social media is word of mouth in large measure. But the weird part is that nobody has a strategy for it. Like it's that it's so incredibly important, but nobody has a strategy. You've got a marketing strategy, a social strategy, a PR strategy, a, 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 a crisis strategy, but nobody has a word of mouth strategy. We just sort of take it for granted. And we, we assume that competency creates conversations, right? That being a good business is enough to get customers talking, but it's really not in most cases because all your competitors are good as well. So you have to give them something different. So to define it, a talk trigger is a strategic operational differentiator that creates word of mouth, right? It's something that you do differently that people remember and talk about. So in the Cheesecake Factory example, Mm -hmm. the Cheesecake Factory menu, I actually have it on my desk here. The Cheesecake Factory menu is ridiculous, right? It is 1,900 words of it. Yes, it is. It is almost 6,000 words long, which just do some quick math here. It's like 15% as long as the book, right? So uh, being a waiter at the Cheesecake Factory, worst job ever, because are you guys ready to order? Like, no, bro. Not even close to being ready and to order. you probably had like, to memorize that menu too. Yeah. Can you come back in two hours and then we'll be ready to order? Please give me some more water before then. True, true story. They make chicken 85 different kinds of ways. 85. That's crazy. Like nobody can name more than 20, right? 85 types of chicken preparation is a significant uh, array of chicken. But the menu is so big. It is almost comically big that people talk about it all the time. Now, you might be thinking, Social Pros listeners, oh, yeah, yes, I've been to Cheesecake Factory, and you're right, Jay, the menu is big, but that doesn't actually have any impact on their business, but it does, my friends. It does. Daniel and I did a survey of Cheesecake Factory customers, a legitimate, full-blown academic survey, and found that 38% of Cheesecake Factory's customers have, without being prompted or aided or asked, mentioned that menu to somebody else in the previous 60 days. That's why they don't have to advertise because the size of the menu propels the story and the stories are their advertising. Pause the show right now. Just pause the show, grab your phone, go to Twitter, type in Cheesecake Factory plus menu. And it is, you see tweet after tweet after tweet after tweet, people saying, I'm reading the Cheesecake Factory menu from my book club, et cetera, et cetera. It's hilarious, right? People really notice it. So my question for you is here we are as our listeners are listening to this show as social pros were in many cases marketing we're communications people you have to wonder did is the is the tail wagging the dog here is the dog wagging the tail how did they kind of come up with this whether we're at the cheesecake factory uh, and we're recognizing and realizing that they have this asset that is so marketable that is such a talk trigger that is something that is so brand Esque. It's funny, as I, I was reading this book over the past couple of days, I actually chuckled myself because I was like, wow, uh, so the menu at Cheesecake Factory is a talk trigger. Triggers. I wonder if the cookie at Doubletree Hotels is kind of their talk triggers, ha ha, because I've heard Jay talk about it. <laughs> 
Sure enough, I, I moved to chapter three and, and there it is. But the question is, as a social media practitioner, I may not be able to drive the organization, and we're going to get into many of these uh, throughout this yeah. podcast. I might not be able to drive actually buying a cookie for each guest or bumping that menu up to thousands of different SKUs. How does this happen in an organization? And how as a marketer or communicator, can we begin to realize, hey, there's, there's, there's a marketable opportunity here to do something yeah. pretty compelling? I would answer that two ways, Adam. One, my observation is that the problem today in social is that people are creating social content about nothing. It's like an episode of Seinfeld run amok, right? So if you want to have more effective social media, your social needs to be about something. And that something ideally is your talk trigger, right? That's, I mean, you know, give your, the same way that we're trying to give customers a story to tell, the brand giving your social media team a story to tell is more important, right? You actually have some raw materials then to tell some interesting stories. You talked about Doubletree. It's a good example, right? Every once in a while, not very much because I don't want to beat a dead horse, right? But every once in a while, Doubletree will do something in social media just to remind you, just subtly remind you that they're the cookie guys, right? And that's a much easier task for their social team than well, we've got some really comfy double beds, which like nobody cares about, right? And, and so it gives them storytelling fodder as well. My other observation is that you're right. Uh, an individual social media manager probably can't universally roll out an operations level differentiator in a brand, but neither should anybody else in marketing. While these type of talk trigger initiatives are often you know, born out of the marketing department, the reality is that Again, a talk trigger is an operational difference. It's not marketing. It's not a slogan. It's not a contest. It's not a coupon. It's not a promotion. It's not a campaign. It's not some sort of UGC stunt marketing. It really is an operational differentiator. So that being the case, it has to involve, by definition, marketing and sales and ops and customer service. So can somebody in social unilaterally make this change? No, but they can certainly be part of the team that says, hey, we should do something to give our customers a better story to tell. And there's a part of that that really interests me because there's a, something, an analogy I often use, and I think I've even used it on the show, around campfires. That you have things sometimes as a social media marketer in terms of data and listening insights that brings all these other parts of the organization, be it sales, be it R&D, be it operations together. It sounds like in a way talk triggers can be that same thing that you, it, it's, it's, a, it's a device as well as an opportunity to bring- it has to be. Different Not only can be, it has to be. Yeah. And if think you don't about, do it right, it could be, a, could be a detractor, right? I mean, if you're going to have 85 different kinds of chicken in your restaurant, a lot of people have to figure that out, right? I mean, the marketing is the least of your problems. Yeah. Like you've got to have a whole chicken supply chain and you've got to have menu design. You got to train all the servers to be able to describe 85 different kinds of chicken not to mention all the ingredients that you have to have, you know, mushrooms and everything else. I mean, it's a whole, it takes a village to support a talk trigger uh, in, in, in every respect, unless it's a very, very small business. And so, uh, you know, that's one of the things that, that is interesting about this work on the consulting side too, is that, yeah, it ends up being marketing, but it really isn't, right? It's really business process uh, and operations kind of stuff that creates marketing advantages. And, and it's a lot of fun. It's, it's a little different way of looking at things um, so it's, it's a joy to, to get involved sometimes. And it's, 
consistent with a thing that we oftentimes talk about here on the on the social pro show around authenticity and genuineness by its definition talk triggers can't just be marketing speak they have to be genuine they have to be uh remarkable in fact that's one of the four kind of requirements that we'll get Mm -hmm. to in a second here for uh for a talk trigger but i was i was excited through the book because not only do you give these great case studies and we're going to show some share some more but you made it very prescriptive you talked about kind of the four types of talk Mm -hmm. triggers criteria you talked about the four different types of customers and then there was this entire methodology called four five six that that not only was was a smiler for me because I love things that are process driven and methodology and Gantt charts and but it also made it very digestible and approachable. Um, before we get there, though, let's talk a little bit about what isn't a talk trigger because I think you uh, you open up uh, a chapter of the book with same as lame and that yeah. it has to be something that's differentiating and that it has to be something that you can own. Uh, I think one of the greatest things about DoubleTree and the cookie is. It's always going to be double tree in the cookie. The thing about the Cheesecake yeah. Factory is that menu. But I think you gave a great example of another wonderful hotel brand, a, a hotel brand that did some a surprise and delight for me just a little bit under a month ago as we record this on August 8th when I was in one of their hotels and they surprised and delighted me with some really interesting things for my birthday. But Weston and the Heavenly Bed, for a yeah. while it was such a talk trigger, but then it kind of became commoditized. Yeah, that's it. Sometimes you, you have a differentiator that you roll out and you can protect it indefinitely, right? Doubletree has been giving out a warm chocolate chip cookie to every guest at check-in for 30 years. A couple million cookies, yeah. It's 75,000 a day. So yeah, it's many million. <laughs> Holy cow. Many million, right? So so they've been able to, to say, this is our thing. Now, I'll ask you, right? You don't see a lot of Doubletree ads either, just like Cheesecake Factory, because the cookie is the ad. The one thing they do, which is really smart, like when they have uh, airport shuttles, the airport shuttle always has a big chocolate chip cookie decal on it, right? And it's sort of like yeah. the subtle nod, like where the cookie guys is our differentiator. Yeah. You know, one of, the, one of the things you've probably heard, um, I know you have, Adam, and probably a lot of listeners have too. It's not entirely true, but it's at least partially true in the context of word of mouth, is that advertising is a tax on the unremarkable. If your talk trigger, if your differentiator is good enough, you can afford to spend less on advertising because your customers are doing your marketing for you. The, the goal of a talk trigger is to turn your customers into volunteer marketers in social media, in ratings and review sites, and across the kitchen table. Um, so that's you know how it works best. But what's 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 interesting about talk triggers is that sometimes you get lucky, right? Like DoubleTree has, and you can hold it for thirty years. And sometimes you have a good idea, like Weston did with the Heavenly Bed, which mm-hmm. was intended to be the most comfy bed of all beds in hotel land. And, and it was a bunch. And it was, and then a bunch of other hotels are like, huh? Well, we could do that. We, we can have beds. So Marriott got a fancy bed. I think Hyatt ended up doing a partnership with the Sleep Number guys, and Hilton Garden Inn started doing a bunch of you know comfy bed stuff. And so they just couldn't protect it. And sometimes that happens. We talked about that in the book. That that if that occurs and you just you you lose your uniqueness, then you got to kind of go back to the drawing board and and uh, pick a new one. That re- that uh, idea that advertising is a lack of remarkability tax, I think, is a great segue into uh, a first section of the book called the four requirements of a talk mm-hmm. trigger. And remarkableness is is a one and is a big one. And there was some really interesting case studies. First, talk a little bit about what those four requirements are. Being remarkable is non-negotiable, right? Because yeah. that's the whole point of, of word of mouth. I would say all four uh, of these are non-negotiable. 
they are, but but remarkability in particular, because if 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 your story isn't interesting enough to talk about, well then you know, you might as well just pack up your things and go home. And and it's so critical because look, I don't know everybody listening to the show. I, I do know many of you and it's so fantastic when when I meet uh, listeners on the road. Thank you. Please continue to say hi. I do know this though, Adam, nobody listening to this show has ever said these words. Hey, let me tell you about this perfectly adequate experience I just had. True. Right? Like <laughs> nobody says that. Why? Because if you're going to tell a story to somebody or you're going to make a recommendation to someone, you want that story and that recommendation to be interesting. And same is lame. We're so guilty of this in business. I'm guilty of it. Adam's guilty of it. We're all guilty of it, of playing follow the leader, of saying, who's the best? Who's the most successful? Who's got it together in our category? Let's mimic what they're doing. And it is an absolute loser as a strategy from a word of mouth standpoint, because all you're doing is is becoming a pale imitation of, of them. So you've got to do something that people don't expect right? It, you, and one of the key strategies in the book in this process is to say, okay, find out what your customers expect. Because once you know what they expect, you can do what they don't expect. And that's where your talk trigger lies. You talk in the book a little bit about the distinction between something that's remarkable uh, and that unique selling proposition mm-hmm. that any of us who've gone to, uh, to, to higher education around marketing or advertising or PR, we learned about David Ogilvy and the unique selling proposition pioneer of his during, I think, the 50s and 60s. But I loved how you made the distinction between a USP and something that is that is remarkable or, in general, just a talk trigger. And the challenge about USPs are typically bullet points, right? It's a yeah. feature or a benefit that you do. It really is a competency-based um, uh, way of thinking about it. We are better than the competition at X. And, and let's illustrate that with a bullet point. So a USP is a bullet point. A talk trigger is a story, Yeah. right? And, and, and the idea is that a talk trigger focuses on being different. A USP focuses on being better. Now, both are valid. Both are important. But the word of mouth potential of something that you don't expect is much, much higher than something that is just good, right? So that, that's, the, that's the challenge, right? We, we, we think that competency creates conversations, but it doesn't. Competency keeps customers, right? So from a customer retention standpoint, if you're like, hey, we want to make sure that today's customers come back. Yes, you want to focus on competency, USP, we've got really good food. But if you want those current customers to become volunteer marketers, you're much better off doing something they don't expect than you are focused on something that you know is just 10% better. And that's kind of where the four R's, the four requirements of a talk trigger come from. We talked a little bit about Remarkable, and there's some mm-hmm. great case studies in the book around uh, Umpqua Bank. I think I pronounced that right. Yeah, Umpqua Bank. Yeah, uh, with the silver phone in Oregon. You talk about uh, the other side of the, uh, the United States coast with Lockbusters and some of the spectacular things that they're doing. The second R, though, is relevant. And it has to be something that's relevant to the customer. It can't just be something cool for cool sake. Yeah. And something that's even remarkable, but it has to be something that's meaningful to them. I mean, I mean the story has to make sense, right? Because if you're trying to get people to pass the story along, it has to make sense in the context of who you are and what you do. So I'll talk about Lockbusters for just a second because it'll help make the point. So Jay Sofer is a locksmith in New York City. His business is called Lockbusters. He's the highest rated locksmith in Manhattan. And he's actually one of the highest rated businesses in Manhattan of any kind, which is hard to fathom. 
he has a great talk trigger. So when he finishes working on your locks or whatever, he oils all the locks in your house, windows and doors. And then he does a security audit of your premise for free. Does both of these things for free. Now, imagine if instead of doing that, instead of doing the security audit and, and oiling your locks, he said, Adam, uh, thanks for having me uh, work on your locks. Would you like a warm chocolate chip cookie I made in my van? You'd be like, no, bro, I don't want a locksmith cookie. I don't even know what that means. That's totally freaky, right? So, so this, you know, his talk trigger, security audit, I'm a locksmith. Oh, that's awesome. I'll tell a friend. Double tree cookie, it's a cookie. Their whole brand positioning is warm welcome. That all makes sense. Right. The, the converse is also true. If you went into Doubletree and they said, hey, would you like us to do a security audit of your hotel room? You're like, um, no. And is that necessary? Right. And, so and I'm, dialed, I'm already dialed nine and one on the phone. Yes, ready exactly. with the one. Right. So it has to make sense. And, and sometimes marketers are particularly guilty of this. Like, well, we've got to go big, baby. We got to do something crazy, crazy Eddie, right? And you're just like, okay, well, let's make conversation and we're going to have a, you know, an antelope, uh, you know, graze out of your hand in the lobby and that'll be fun. Uh, and yeah, people will talk about that, but that's weird. Yeah. So that's not, not only not relevant, but it's also that just example you gave perfect segue to our number three, reasonableness. That we all can't be Oprah Winfrey giving away free cars. Uh, you call it the Goldilocks zone. You know, it, yep. it's got to be right there. It's got to be reasonable. It's got to be relevant and remarkable, but it can't be over the top that people's spidey sense kind of goes goes up. Yeah, when you when you try and make it too big, and you have some you know giant contest where everybody wins an island or something, what happens is the conversation becomes what are the terms and conditions of this more so than isn't this interesting, right? And, and people start to distrust the very nature of your differentiator. And so again, marketers are often guilty of trying to, to make it too big, too bold, too brash, uh, because they figure the bigger it is, the more conversation it will generate. That's not actually true okay. over the long haul, right? You're better off sort of being somewhat more modest, uh, but then plugging away at it day after day. I mean, look, Doubletree is another good example, right? They've been doing this every day for 30 years, right? On average, 25,500 people talk about the cookie per day, every day. It's tremendous success. But it's just a chocolate chip cookie, man. Like, yeah. it's just a cookie. Okay, so don't overthink it. And, and, and it, yes, and, the, and again, it was not only reasonable and approachable to them, you know, there's probably spending probably somewhere in the neighborhood of 50 to 75 cents a cookie, they can do that with their scale at 25, 35,000 times a day. They can give away 75,000 cookies, as, as, as you said, every, what was the, what was the daytime? Every day. Every day. 75,000 a day. Yep. So it's, it's to the fourth one. It's repeatable. It's repeatable. It's available to every customer every time. It's just like that menu. It's just like. Here comes, here comes my rant. Yeah. Here comes my rant. I'm ready. Everybody gets a cookie. Okay. It's not just ladies night. It's not just on your birthday. It's not if you're in the Hilton honors rewards club, everybody gets a cookie. Everybody gets their locks examined by Jay Sofer at locksmith. Everybody gets the same menu at cheesecake factory. The biggest problem right now in the word of mouth industry is surprise and delight. Because when, when brands try to treat customers inequitably to say, oh, it's Adam Brown, let's do something really special for Adam. Like I understand the temptation there because maybe Adam will then share it in social media and it will quote unquote go viral and that will pick up steam and maybe it'll kind of jump out of its rails and it'll get picked up by Reddit or whatever. I'm not suggesting you should never do surprise and delight, but what I am suggesting is that surprise and delight is a lottery ticket. It's not a strategy. 
right? It's not a repeatable word of mouth strategy that will pay off day after day after day after day. You're not turning customers into volunteer marketers at that point. You're turning Adam into the media. Well, and That's, it's, a, it's a different thing. And it's a lottery ticket on both sides. It's a lottery ticket right. for the guests because it truly is surprise and delight. This is not going to happen every time. And it's, it's a very much probably even a bigger lottery for the brand because it's highly likely that they are not going to see the demonstrable viral ROI that social programs like Surprise and Delight would even have gotten five or 10 years ago, just because of yeah. the way the algorithms work, just the way the volume of information in social media and the fractured state of social media as it is today, as compared to 10 years ago. Yep. So I'm not suggesting that, that Surprise and Delight is, that there's no place for it. There, there is. And many of our listeners are involved in social driven Surprise and Delight programs uh, in, from, from here or there. We've got also partners and, and, and folks like Hyper, um, who are formerly a sponsor of the show, who, who do Surprise and Delight or help brands do Surprise and Delight. It's all good but it's not the same as a word of mouth strategy. It's yeah. not a replacement for a talk trigger. As you and Dan started putting this to get this book together, you obviously had to come across dozens, if not hundreds of great case studies and examples and ones where you- More thought, all the time now too. It's so fun. I wish I could rewrite the book. Well, hey, sequels, sequels are calling. Yeah, sequels are calling. There had to have been a, a story or a case study of an example that really was really meaningful to, to you. For me, it actually came in the second part of your book. There were, the book is organized in some really interesting ways. There's chapters one, two, three, and then there's a, there's a whole section called four, five, six. And we talked about the four R's, the four kind of requirements of a talk trigger. Then there are five types of talk triggers for section five. And then section six is six steps to celebrate talk triggers. And there were a couple of, of, of stories that were really meaningful to me in case studies. One was in the five types of talk triggers, and it was the one around empathy. Mm-hmm. And it was a, uh, that I'll, I'll tee up the topic for, for Jay, and I'd love for him to talk about this. But the topic was ridiculously nice debt collection. And it was yeah. a case study around a debt collection service that was being ridiculously nice and having more effectiveness than the mean old debt collectors that, that, that call and plague their you know, their, their clients uh, at dinnertime uh, every single night. That was really meaningful to me because it took an idea and, and turned it on its dime. Talk to their owner today, um, Kenlin Gretz. I'm going out there to uh, Manitowoc, uh, Wisconsin, where they're based in December to do a little program for their, their employees and their customers. And, and I mentioned earlier that the whole idea of a talk trigger is to take what people expect and then do what they don't expect because that's what creates conversations. Well, if I tell you medical debt collection, you have an expectation of what that's all about. Mm. Uh, that's probably not great. Collecting debt on behalf of hospitals and physician groups. And most debt collectors tend to lay it on pretty heavy, right? They, 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 they use a lot of guilt, a lot of shame, a lot of pressure uh, because they don't get paid unless they get paid, you know? Right. Well, Kenlin uh, Gretz decided to do it exactly opposite he knows what people expect and he, he did the different approach. The business is called AmeriCollect and their slogan, their DNA, their talk trigger, their rationale, as Tom Webster would say, their theory of the firm is ridiculously nice collections. And that's how they roll, right? I mean, when, when they're talking to somebody who, who owes money, they are extraordinarily patient and polite and friendly and kind. And it has not only a colossal psychological impact, on, on those who, who are in arrears. But as a result, it actually produces far better uh, outcomes. So in that industry, and I didn't know this till we interviewed them for the book, 
is really common uh, to do shootouts. And, and what they mean by that is if you're a hospital, a physician group, whatever, and you need to hire debt collectors, uh, it's very common, almost like an AB test in social media where, where they take two different firms and say, okay, you get half the accounts and you get half and whoever collects the most money next time you get all of it, right? So they sort of just give you a little trial run. Well, AmeriCollect with their ridiculously nice approach, which is a stark contrast to everybody else, <laughs> has won 1,997 out of the last 2,000 shootouts as of this morning. So proof's in the pudding, man. Like this totally works. And the part that's even crazier, Adam, is that a significant percentage, I think it's over half now, that's what Kellen was saying, of the employees at AmeriCollect actually were people who they called to collect money from. Imagine that. You get a call from a debt collector and they are so kind, so empathetic, so compassionate that once you've caught up, you're like, man, I'd like to go work for those guys. That says something. Um, oh, and I think and, and you speak to one of those other aspects of this, that this, this can have that, that contagious uh, kind of aspect on the entire organization. It can, it, it can impact your HR and your employee retention. I'm sure they have the highest job retention in the industry. If certainly if some of their clients now want to join them and, and be, I would think employed. so. Yeah. Wow. I love, I love that story. And that was one of the five types of talk triggers that you talk about. Talk about empathy. Is that talking about empathy and you know, other, other aspects of it, uh, generosity, usefulness, speed, and attitude, all very, very different uh, and how they use and approach talk triggers, but similar in their, I think, approach and similar in that the impact that they can have, just like with empathy on the, on the organization. Yeah, there's not, there's not one way to do it, which I think is, is, keeps it interesting, right? So the, the, the style of talk trigger that you see most often is talkable generosity, where you're more generous than your customers expect. It's because it's the easiest one to operationalize in your business. So a free cookie is talkable generosity. Doing a security audit of your locks is talkable generosity, et cetera, right? So um, that's the one that you, you most often encounter, but it's by no means the only one, as we just talked about. AmeriCollect and Ridiculously Nice is, is talkable empathy, where you're more human than your customers expect. You can be faster than they expect, uh, which is a tough, one to, a tough one to own because our expectations around speed continue to go up and up. And don't we know that in the social media world, especially social care, right? It used to be you tweeted somebody back in two hours, they were blown away. Now they're like, what took you so long? Yeah. Right? It's, it's, it's changed a lot, right? Um, so what you want to do is is figure out which of the five kind of are best fit the DNA of your organization. And, and that's kind of where you get started. I was reading the book actually on a plane uh, this weekend, coming back from uh, from San Francisco to Austin. Uh, and, and one of the talk triggers was actually very apropos. I was coming back on a Alaska Air plane. Of course, Alaska Air acquired Virgin America and yep. in the process still of painting all the planes and, and kind of merging two very different cultures. One of the things I loved about Virgin America, well, there are actually two things, and both of these things are gone now. One was the crazy safety video. It was hilarious. They were the first out of all the airlines now, including uh, Air New Zealand, which we'll talk about here in a second, to do very clever safety videos. The second was they had the greatest margarita mix in the free world, and they no longer have each. And one of the examples you use in the book was uh, around usefulness. And talking about Air New Zealand's multiple safety videos and the Sky Couch. What I loved about both of these stories were safety videos, pretty darn easy. Sky yes. Couch, 
that that was absolutely incredible, but something that was logistically involved a lot more people. It took a village. It took a campfire. And, and, and so useful. So the way the Sky Couch works, and Air New Zealand developed, but they now licensed it to a couple other airlines, Korean Air and a couple others, I think. Uh, and, and so it's not a first class seat. It's in coach, but you can purchase the row. And then they have a configuration of the seat so that the armrests fold down so they disappear. And then like a kind of like an attached footrest comes up on all three seats. And so the whole thing becomes kind of like a futon couch, like you'd have yeah. in a in a dorm room, right? And it's great. So if you've got kids, it's almost like instant playpen. If you've got a significant other and you want to do some snuggling or whatever, uh, keep it appropriate kids, but, you know, do whatever, you, you know, you, you just have room to hang. You know, you're not like in a seat per se. You've got more of a couch. That's why it's called the Sky Couch. And it's been a huge success for them. And what's interesting about that talk trigger is it's similar to some of the other really good ones in the book in that you don't have to experience it to talk about it. You just have to see it, right? If you're walking to the bathroom, you're like, what the hell is this all about, right? You ask a flight attendant, like you don't have to have bought it. Like the next time you're fine or you see somebody, you're like, hey, I was on this Air New Zealand flight. They had the craziest thing. It was like a couch on the plane, right? So it creates conversation even if you don't experience it yourself. And, and those are the ones that I think are really, really special because they just have kind of an, they sort of have their own propellant contained inside. I love that. Well, and I think too, here we are as social media marketers, you and I, Jay, I look at Sky Couch. I look at uh, another example that you use, five guys in the huge bag of fries. Yeah. I look at Skip's Kitchen and the, and the Joker. I look at your tailor, which I know you'll talk about, and some of the personalized, personalized, personalized messages he, uh, he and she make on, uh, on, on the actual uh, clothing that they tailor. But they are highly visual things. They're things that I say, oh, that's an Instagram post right there. Oh, that's, mm-hmm. all, that's all over Twitter. And I think sometimes you know, some of these things are phenomenal. The ridiculously nice debt collection is great from an empathy standpoint and it's emotional and it pulls to you, but it's not going to have this. You're not going to tweet about that. Probably. You're probably not yeah. going to have a visual that you can associate with that. But with so many that's that you it. have in your book, they're visual. That's it. I'm glad you picked up on that. It's what we were talking about before at the very beginning of the show, this difference between online and offline word of mouth and how the topics are different. Like you will share a photo of the sky couch that you took walking to the bathroom on the air New Zealand plane, right? You'll just Instagram that sucker in two seconds. Sucks if you're sitting in that chair because indeed you are not likely to go on Facebook and say, Hey, I just got a call from a debt collector and it was an extraordinary experience because of the stigma associated with that. But if you're talking to a friend face-to-face offline and you have a more intimate conversation, you might very well talk about AmeriCollect with somebody who knows your, your financial situation, right? So, so sometimes the nature of the talk trigger, the type, style, and execution of the differentiator lends itself naturally to either an online social media or offline face-to-face sharing of that story. That, that's, a, that's a brilliant uh, insight, Jay. And as, as we kind of brought it around to the, to the first, 50% online, 50% offline. So there's a lot that isn't necessarily going to be online, either because it's just not appropriate, like, like, our, like our, our debt collectors, or it's something that's more intrapersonal. It is something that is across the dinner table. It is across a, a restaurant uh, table with a, with a friend or, 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 or a colleague. Or even smaller, even sort of smaller uh, 
customer bases, right? Like, like one of the case studies in the book is from Windsor One, which is a manufacturer of, of wooden trim pieces. And, and their customers are all, you know, highly trained Finnish carpenters. Okay, they have an incredible talk trigger. Uh, I won't go into the whole story, but you, you, there's not that many Finnish carpenters out there. And they're probably not like, oh, let me get this on Facebook because what percentage of their friends are also Finnish carpenters? Like not that many, right? So that's one that lends itself to absolutely, we talk about it when the other carpenters are gathered around at the lumber yard, but we're not putting it on Yelp right? It's too specific. It's like the, the actual customer base is, is too specific. So a lot of the B2B, uh, like in that case, like a lot of the B2B talk triggers, you just don't see as much evidence of it in social, but it definitely exists. And I'm glad you brought that one up because I smiled as I read that one too, because you're exactly right. right. The, uh, the, the, the finished carpenter, master carpenter, probably not going to be on, 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 uh, on, on Twitter or something like that. But they gave out 150,000 T-shirts uh, as part of this program. And those shirts are being worn by those carpenters. And they're being worn oh, okay. on job sites. They're being worn at the, uh, at, the, at the local union meetings. They're being worn when they're at Home Depot buying that wood. And of course, customers, prospective customers, other people in the trade see them. So again, they've thought about where their audience is. And in that case, they've made that customer a passionate uh, marketer, promoter, evangelist for the brand. And they put that message on their back, literally. Yes, literally on their back. I should mention real quick um, for listeners that we have uh, the six-step process uh, of how to create a talk trigger, which you probably won't get into for interest of time in this show. But uh, the book goes into great detail on exactly how to do this in any company. But if you go to talktriggers.com slash socialpros, talktriggers.com slash socialpros, you can download it for free. So there's more detail in the book, of course, but you can download the six-step guide right now Uh, take it with you and start the process of doing this in your business. Because I really, really want everybody listening to, to over time, start to do this kind of thing in their business. What, what makes me the happiest Adam is when I'm doing a a presentation about talk triggers and somebody comes up to me and says, Hey, uh, I, I, I've got one that you don't know about. And, and then it just kind of feeds new ideas. I was in Seattle three weeks ago and this guy comes up to me after my talk and he's like, Jay, uh, I'm a social pros listener. I love the show. Love you and Adam. And I really appreciate this talk triggers thing. There's a guy here in town who has one. Do you know this story? I'm like, I don't know. I don't think so. I don't think we have any Seattle stories. He's like, here it is. He's a doctor. I'm like, all right. And I've, I know some doctor stories. Uh, his name is Dr. Snip. And he only does vasectomy surgeries. And I was like, what? He's like, yeah, his name's Dr. Snip. He's like, but that's not the talk trigger. I'm like, what? He's like, Everybody who goes at that, when he, when they, when the patient leaves, he gives them an engraved pocket knife with their name and his URL, a silver pocket knife that says Dr. Snip and his (laughs) URL and your name, Adam Brown. I'm like, that's genius, right? So my my favorite thing in the world is when somebody gives me a one that I haven't heard of. And Dr. Snip is my newest, uh, when when I say, I wish I could rewrite the book, Dr. Snip would have made the book for sure. Yeah. And and idea it's personalized. I I could have seen that knife saying, do not try this at home or something like that. Yes, exactly. But even more, and I can see, I can see someone who's, who's, who's who's had the procedure They're They're playing golf with their buddies and they pull out of their pocket. uh, Hey, look at this. And Dr. Snip is, 
is known forever. I love that aspect of the book. And Jay, this entire book, fantastic. The piece of it, that the storytelling piece of it, the types of talk triggers, there's really kind of a marketing 101 or 201 class in here about understanding audiences, but then the actionable stuff at the end, six steps to create talk triggers. You go through six steps, all the way from gathering internal insights to amplifying talk triggers, and then lather, rinse, repeat. It is a fantastic book. Uh, I'm guessing you and Dan are out on the lecture circuit going to be talking about this. Yeah, absolutely. We're all over the place uh, talking about the book uh, here and there and doing uh, media and all that kind of stuff. And, and there's all kinds of extra stuff too at, at talktriggers.com slash social pros. Not only the six-step guide, but we've got um, PowerPoint presentations that you can download. We've got uh, book club guides that you can download, uh, supplemental research, like all kinds of special stuff that didn't fit in the book. So just go, go, just go there and grab it for nothing. I hope everybody will go to uh, talktriggers.com and talktriggers.com slash social pros. Jay, it's, it's been fun to kind of swap the tables on you. And of course, that does mean I get to ask you the two questions. Oh, I didn't know we were going to do that. Okay. Everyone Jeez. else. All of right. course. All right. oh, okay. Do you know how All much right. mail I would receive if I did not ask you the two All questions? Right, I'm ready. I'm ready. We've asked. Uh, and of course, you know these questions quite well. The question number one is... What is your one tip? And maybe we should, we should switch it up a little bit. What is the one tip in talk triggers to help mm-hmm. someone become a social pro? Amplify your trigger, right? It's the sixth mm. step in the six step process that, that once you have a thing, use social to remind people of that thing. Not every day, but on occasion. Krispy Kreme donuts, right? They have hot donuts that come off the conveyor belt. When they have the donuts hot, they have a giant red neon sign that lights hot up and says now. hot donuts now right? Twitter is your version of hot donuts now, or it can be, right? So you, you want to use social to, to amplify your differentiator. Great answer. Second question, uh, and, and maybe the answer will be Dr. Snip, since uh, he did not make it to, uh, <laughs> to the cutoff for, uh, for, for, for privilege. The cutoff, nice. Training. Well, well done. Yes, the I, I didn't even mean that one. I walked right into it. Uh, what is, who is the one person uh, that you would like to have a, uh, a, a online video call with and why? Uh, that's an easy answer. Um, one of the case studies in the book uh, we were not able to actually interview, but I really wish you would have. And we asked and, 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 and went through all the channels, but couldn't put it together is Penn and Teller. Yeah. Uh, the magicians Penn and Teller have a terrific uh, story in the book about how they greet every single fan after every performance and sign autographs. And, and nobody else really does that. They've done it for, for 20 years in a row. Uh, it's an example of a repeatable talk trigger. And I'm a huge uh, Penn and Teller fan. I've seen the show, seen the show twice, uh, right? Uh, more than that, actually. And, and I watch their TV show all the time. And, and uh, I'm just a big fan of, of everything about those guys. And so that's if I could actually get them on the show and do a video call with them, uh, I would be super happy about that. So my answer is Penn and Teller. Fantastic answer. Fantastic book. Fantastic interview. Jay, it's been a pleasure doing this show with you, just like I've enjoyed doing the show now for for over two years. Uh, I hope everybody will pick up Talk Triggers, uh, a fantastic book on a fantastic topic. Jay, thanks for, uh, for switching the microphone on me. Thanks, buddy. I appreciate it very much. We'll be back next week with a regularly scheduled broadcast where Adam and I will combine to talk to somebody. Uh, We appreciate everybody listening. Thanks for your support of the book and of course, your support of this show as well. On behalf of Adam Brown from Salesforce, I'm Jay Bear from Convince and Convert. Get out there and get somebody talking about you. Thanks for listening to Social Pros. Please leave a review and subscribe on iTunes or on your favorite podcast listening app. Go to socialpros.com for a complete show archive and for our greatest hits. Social Pros is sponsored by Convince & Convert. 
Salesforce Marketing Cloud, and by Yext. And it's produced by my team and I at Convince and Convert Media. If you're interested in being a guest or a sponsor on the show, visit us at convinceandconvert.com.